0: Father, who are we that you should call us your friend? Jesus, you appeared to your disciples in the upper room and you taught them that though they were once thought of as servants, now they are friends, friends of God. How can this be, Lord? How can this be that you can look upon us? Who are we that you are mindful of us? Lord, we are simply dust formed from the ground. We are feeble and frail. We are prone to sin. Our hearts wander, but God, you love us. And your love is more powerful than all everything else in the universe. And God, as we gather together in this place, Lord, may we hear from your word an expression of your love. May you call to us. Lord, I know that you see us in our discouragements and distractions and despair. And Lord, you have a word for us. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing a part of bones and marrow of soul and spirit. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Lord, grant to us that your word, through your word, you would speak to us today. Lord, without this light post of truth, we are lost in the world in which we live. But God, through your spirit, make Jesus clear to us today cause his example to be an example to us that we might follow in all that he does and we might please you as he does. For we pray this in his name, amen. Jackie Rice, our director of communication, sent me an interesting article this week from the Guardian newspaper. It's a longer article. I'm gonna read a decent portion of it. There's a lot more to it. Uh, but listen, I think you'll find uh, this article Fascinating. Justin Rosenstein had tweaked his laptop's operating system to block Reddit, banned himself from Snapchat, which he compares to heroin, and imposed limits on his use of Facebook. But even that wasn't enough. In August, the 34-year-old tech executive took a more radical step to restrict his use of social media and other addictive technologies. Rosenstein purchased a new iPhone and instructed his assistant to set up a parental control feature to prevent him from downloading any apps. This is a 34-year-old who's asked his assistant to set up a parental control on his phone. Now catch this next paragraph. He was particularly aware of the allure of Facebook likes, which he describes as bright dings of pseudo-pleasure that can be as hollow as they are seductive. Now watch this. And Rosenstein should know, he was the Facebook engineer who created the like button in the first place. A decade after he stayed up all night coding a prototype of of what was then called an awesome button, Rosenstein belongs to a small but growing band of Silicon Valley heretics who complain about the rise of the so-called attention economy, an internet shaped around the demands of an advertising economy. These refuseniks are rarely founders or chief executives who have little incentive to deviate from the mantra that their companies are making the world a better place. Instead, they tend to have worked a rung or two down the corporate ladder. Designers, engineers, and product managers who, like Rosenstein, several years ago put in place the building blocks of a digital world from which they are now trying to disentangle themselves. It is very common, Rosenstein says, for humans to develop things with the best of intentions and for them to have unintended negative consequences. Rosenstein, who also helped create Gchat during a stint at Google and now leads a San Francisco-based company, that improves office productivity, appears most concerned about the psychological effects on people who, research shows, touch, swipe, or tap their phone 2,617 times every single day. There is growing concern that as well as addicting users, technology is contributing towards so-called continuous partial attention, severely limiting people's ability to focus, and possibly lowering IQ. One recent study showed that the mere presence of smartphones damages cognitive capacity even when the device is turned off. Everyone is distracted, Rosenstein says, all of the time. A couple of years ago, Calvary Church did a series here on technology in which we talked about how to live faithfully in a technological world. If you're interested in that series, uh, you can have all the material and you can download it, yes, for free from our website. I get it. (laughs) You know, I wrote this out when I did my sermon and it didn't hit me till the last service when I said it. Yeah, I get it. I get the irony. But when we did that study, I was initially thinking, okay, well, the Bible probably doesn't have a ton to say about Facebook, about phones, about social media, about that kind of technology, but I was surprised to find out how much God has to say that is absolutely relevant to the things we're experiencing and feeling when it comes to technology. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe helps address this issue which not only Justin Rosenstein feels, but all of us feel, is this constant vying for our attention and this distraction that is happening all the time that threatens to keep us from fulfilling God's purposes in our life. And this morning we have a story from the life of Jesus in which I believe God wants to help us think about distractions And think about focus. So please, if you will, take a Bible and turn to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. If you need a Bible, there's one that looks like this uh, in the rack in the seats in front of you. If you turn to page 812, you will be in Mark chapter one. The story that we're looking at, I already referenced it earlier, is in verses 35 to 39. But to get us the context again of where exactly Jesus is in the gospel of Mark, I'm going to start reading in verse 32. So Mark chapter 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now what's happening in Capernaum for Jesus is a bit akin to that attention-grabbing event that has probably happened in your life recently. Maybe it was a promotion at work that everybody found out about. Maybe it was something that happened on the athletic field in which you had great success. Maybe it was something difficult like being diagnosed with cancer. Maybe it was something like losing a loved one. And whatever it was, other people know about it, and all of a sudden your email inbox is filled with very kind emails. Your phone is blowing up with texts from friends. There's posts all over your Facebook page and other social media. Things are going all around, and you're getting lots of attention because of this thing that is happening in your life. Now imagine if you were able and had healed people at will and cast out demons from hundreds of people. Imagine what your phone would be doing at that point. Imagine the number of likes you would have on your Facebook page at that point. This is what Jesus is going through, not in a virtual way, but in a real way. The entire city is lined up outside of his door. Everybody is there. Jesus has now done some stuff in the day before at Capernaum that has got everybody's attention. He is the lead article in every news feed. Everybody is talking about Jesus, and they're all lined up at his door, and Peter says to him, everyone's looking for you. Yeah, they are. He is healing people at will. He is simply saying the word and people are being healed and people who have been burdened by demonic influence and spiritual oppression are finding freedom in one moment. Nothing like this has ever happened in the history of humanity. Of course everybody's looking for him. The point is, is that all that attention, all that vying for his time, threatens to pull Jesus in every different direction. Reading all those texts, responding to all those posts, responding to all those emails, reading all those news stories, you can feel it, can't you? This is exactly what we are going through. Yes, I get the fact that Jesus didn't have an iPhone but he knows what it's like to be bombarded with requests for attention, to get him to pay attention to this, to look at that. It's very disorienting and distracting. That's what he's experiencing in Capernaum. Everybody is focused on him and everybody wants a piece of his attention. So the question is, what does he do? What does he do in that moment when his phone is blowing up? What does he do in that moment when everybody wants to talk to him? Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Three things Jesus does in this verse. Number one, very early in the morning, he gets up. Notice it doesn't say that he happened to wake up. He gets himself up out of bed. I don't know how he did it without an alarm clock, but he does not it. And it's not like he doesn't need any more sleep. He's up late the night before. Yes. <clears throat> Remember, it's after sunset and people are still lined up outside the door for healings. This has been a late night in Capernaum the next morning he gets up, gets himself up early in the morning. How early? 3 a.m.? 4 a.m.? 5 a.m.? I don't know. But the text goes out of its way to tell us it's very early in the morning. And whatever normal people consider early, Jesus is up before that in the very early stages of the morning. Why? Well, he's up to pray. Well, why is he up so early to pray? There's a strong tradition in the scriptures of morning prayer. Consider, just as an example, a few passages from the book of Psalms, which is the Bible's prayer book. Psalm 5, verse 3 In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 88. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 119. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. I don't like those verses. You may not like them either. You may be by nature a late night person. Maybe Jesus was by nature a late night person. He's human. Maybe he would have preferred to stay up till two in the morning and sleep in till 10 in the morning. This week, as I was thinking through this sermon, I tried to think about people that I knew that God had really been doing some great things in their prayer life. And I just wanted to call them, uh, just people from the congregation, and ask them, you know, how how, how did you get to the point that you're at? And so I called a friend of mine who I've been just kind of watching God do some really great things in his prayer life. And I asked him, do you pray in the morning? I do. I was like, now, are you a morning person or a night person? He's like, oh, I'm a night person. I don't like the mornings. How did you get to the point of being a person who prays in the morning? And he reminded me of uh, a time, a very difficult time in his life a few years back when his mom uh, had cancer. And he would wake up in the morning not because he was getting himself up but because the anxiety was waking him up. But God redeemed that and used it to teach him to pray at that time. Now, in God's sovereign plan, his mom has since passed on to heaven, Uh, but the gift of the discipline of learning to pray in the morning has stayed with him. I don't know if it was a struggle for Jesus to get up in the morning. Most people that I know struggle with getting up in the morning. It's something you have to discipline yourself to do. It's something you have to train yourself to do. And my guess is, is Jesus had to do the same thing we have to do, which is nobody comes by this naturally. But whether it came easy or hard, the text says, he got up early in the morning to pray. Second thing Jesus does He leaves the house and goes off to a solitary place. What's he doing? He's turning off his phone, right? He's shutting the laptop. He's leaving the house where all the activity and all the stuff is going to be happening in just a little while. He's getting away from the distractions. And please, this is not just something that Jesus did because the yesterday in Capernaum was a big day and he's worried about distractions. Luke chapter five says this about Jesus. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Not only is it something that Jesus regularly did, it's something Jesus commands us to do. Matthew chapter six, verse six. When you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, the primary purpose for doing this is so that others don't see you praying and you become proud. But the secondary purpose is so that you don't see others and become distracted. And so Jesus gets up and leaves the house. He shuts off his phone. He disconnects from the internet. He doesn't respond to the text that came in the night before from his boss or whatever it may be. Now, I know what you might be thinking. But what about emergencies? And let's be honest. We have a way of rationalizing anything into an emergency, right? Is your child forgetting their lunch really an emergency? I mean, I understand it's important, but is it really an emergency? Is that text, pressing text, important text that you got from your boss, does that really constitute an emergency? It might be important. It might be urgent. But is it really an emergency? I mean, after all, no one knows where Jesus is. He can't be found. They go off searching for him. He didn't leave a note. In case of emergency, look at that rock over there. Behind that, that's where I'll be. Why not? Because he's modeling for us that even in an emergency, the most important thing you could be caught doing in an emergency is praying. The people who want to be healed, his disciples, can be in no better position than they are now because Jesus is off praying for them and your family, and your work, and your friends, and your spouse, there's no better place for you to be at the time of an emergency than praying for them. And nothing, nothing, nothing will be safer for them than you interceding on God's behalf for them without even knowing exactly what you're asking for from the Lord. Now, I know many of you have set aside a space in your house in which there's no distractions. No computers, perhaps, in that space. Maybe you've got noise-canceling headphones or earplugs. Maybe it's a space that's away from the kitchen or wherever all of that activity is. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. I mean, after all, if you have a man cave, is it so wrong to have a prayer cave? If you have a sunroom, Why not have a Son of God room? If you have a walk-in closet, can you not have a pray-in closet? This is what Jesus is doing. He's setting up a space. Go on a prayer walk. Come to the prayer garden. He's going to a place where there's not going to be a distraction. Why? Because he's human and he's easily distracted. If Jesus needs to go to a place where there are no phones buzzing and there are no people waving for him, or no kids crying and wanting to get his attention? How much more do you and I, who are probably more easily distracted, need that time where we're able to be alone with God? Third thing Jesus does, he prays. (laughs) That seems pretty self-explanatory. But let me make this comment. Jesus does not get up at three in the morning or four in the morning or whatever time, walk off a good distance into some desolate wilderness, whatever kind of place where nobody is, to pray for just a couple of minutes. He's praying for a long period of time. In fact, he gets up, walks, and goes and prays. Everyone else is still sleeping. We have to wait until everyone else wakes up. Then the whole city has to gather at the house and everybody's got to be like, Where's Jesus? Then the disciples got to say, Well, we got to go look for him. Then everybody's got to fan out to try to find him. And then they finally come upon him. During that whole time, Jesus is praying. This is not a few minutes, this is probably hours. Now, please, hear me correctly. I always get nervous about talking about Jesus praying for hours for this reason. If you're not a person who prays, if you've never prayed, it can feel super intimidating. It can feel like hours. I could never do that. Please, please, please. If you've never prayed, if you've never spent any time, God is overjoyed if you spend just a couple of minutes. Just a few minutes everybody's journey of prayer starts with just a few minutes. And the point is, well, that's where Jesus is. I'll never get there. You're not supposed to get there. Right now, you're just supposed to pray for a couple of minutes. That's the first step on the journey. So why am I telling you that Jesus prayed for hours? Because there are some of us here who have been praying for a couple of minutes, who need to realize we've become complacent in praying for a couple of minutes, and praying for a couple of minutes is just the first step on the journey. It's not the end. And that Jesus' example is designed to motivate us. If the Son of God needs this much time in prayer to get through his day, to not be distracted, you and I would do well to try to take another step forward on the journey into becoming more like Jesus in prayer. And without knowing that this is his story and this is his example, we may be complacent to sit where we are and go, Well, I'm probably doing better than most people. Fine. But what about Jesus? Does not his example to call us to spend more time with our Father in prayer? The other reason I mentioned that Jesus prayed for long periods of time is because there are some here who also pray for long periods of time. And one of the dangers when you pray for long periods of time is you can start to feel guilty. Should I not be doing more stuff? There's so much to do. Can I really justify taking an hour to go away and pray? Can I really justify taking this much time? There's all this stuff to do. Nobody had a more important mission in the history of the universe than Jesus. And him spending this amount of time in prayer was essential to doing that mission. And my just encouragement to you is, If the Lord is training you to pray more and more, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty that you're abdicating the doing side of things. Realize that's God working in you to do what Jesus is doing. Now again, I called another friend in the church this week who I know has been really growing in his prayer life, just a part of the congregation, and I said, hey, tell me a little bit about how you got to this point. And so he described it. He said, well, for a long time in my life, my wife was the prayer and I was the doer. And she would go on her knees and pray. And he's like, I always thought she was an amazing prayer warrior. And that was kind of her job. But I was a man of action. And I said, but I, I thought you've really you, you've become a person who really prays. What happened? He said, well, I have a friend in my life uh, who I found out prays three hours a day. And he said, I was blown away by that example. But he got, began to look in his life, and I saw unbelievable spirit stuff happening in his life. And his friend said to him, when my friend asked him, well, why don't I see the same kinds of things that you're seeing? And the man said to him, maybe God's not answering your prayers right away because he's testing you. He's testing you to see if you actually care enough to keep praying. And so my friend started on that journey, and that man's example, Jesus' example, What Jesus says in Luke 18 about continuing to pray and not give up and what Jesus says about Luke 12 about knocking on the door and being an annoying person to try to get God to do what you, those examples has motivated my friend to become a prayer warrior himself and not just say, well, my wife does that, I do this. And he said, it's the most amazing thing in the world. It's a chance to meet with the God of the universe and to see him do these great things in the midst of a very, very distracting day, Jesus gets up early in the morning, while it's still dark, goes out, leaves the house, goes to a solitary place, and prays. Now what's the result? What's the result of Jesus taking this time to get up in the morning and pray? Verse 38, well, verse 37. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you, like, it's working, this is great, everybody's responding, you're popular, this is going well, good job. Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else. (laughs) What, you're gonna be mayor of the city soon. What do you mean go somewhere else? To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. Do you see what happened to Jesus? He got refocused on his purpose. (laughs) All those demands, all those people, all that, good things. Healing, who's not for healing? Casting out demons, who's not for casting out demons? The prayer time refocuses Jesus on the purpose to which he's called. Please hear me correctly. The problem with the internet is that it allows spouses, friends, family, co-workers neighbors, people who don't even know, media companies, conglomerations, to try to bend your will to theirs, to text you to try to get you to respond to something they want you to respond to, to give you information to think about things the way they want you to think about things. The problem with the internet is it allows billions of people to try to be your boss. And as much as your spouse loves you, and your friends love you, and as much as the people at school that you've become so close to love you, there is no way that any of those people, let alone the editor of USA Today, or Mark Zuckerberg, or Red Girl 42, there is no way that any of those people truly know what your purpose in life is and want to help you accomplish that purpose for God's sake. They may be helpful along the way, but there is only one person who knows why you were created. There is only one person who calls you to the thing that is fulfilling and satisfying and a blessing that will mean something for eternity. Listen, when you show up before God, he's not gonna say, good job, you responded to every text that was ever sent to you. You responded and read every news feed. You read every post. You liked every status update. You retweeted everything you needed to retweet. What he's going to say to you is, did you accomplish the purpose for which I put you on this earth? And if you say, but I kept getting bombarded with requests, Jesus is going to say, I know what that's like, but that's why I went to pray. It refocuses you on. It's the kingdom of God that's drawn near. That's the good news. The good news is that it's the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of your family, not the kingdom of your friends, not the kingdom of your school. It's the good news is the kingdom of God has drawn near which means you and I can now work for God. We can finally find satisfaction and fulfillment, the purpose for which our loving Father created us. Engineering jobs, teaching jobs, athletic competitions, ministry work, whatever it may be making lunches for children those things that god has called us to do that when we serve him we experience his favor and blessing and the problem is is the internet and everybody else around us do not understand that purpose and do not love us as unselfishly and purely as god does and so what this morning prayer session is it's your morning staff meeting it's your time to sit down with the boss and for him to reorient and refocus you on what needs to happen that day. You can process all the texts you got the day before. You can process the emails that you're thinking through. You can process the things that you've read online. But you process it with the one who is the Lord of the universe that loves you. And this is an invitation not to think, oh, here's one more thing i got to do. It's an invitation to meet with your heavenly father, the king of the kingdom, and get your marching orders for the day to make sense of what's going on. When you show up and go, I feel pulled in every different direction. God is there to say, but here's what I want for you today. Here's what I have for you today. Please, this is not a sermon to beat you up, to say, come on, what's the matter with you, don't pray. It's a plea. If you feel what Justin Rosenstein is feeling, if you feel pulled in every direction, if you feel like you got kids, you got texts, you got everything pulling you in every different direction, This is an offer from the God of the universe to meet with you each morning and set some priorities for you and help you bring some structure back to a life that is so easily distracted. So what do you do? Well, here's your assignment for the week. You're probably gonna guess what it is. For five days this week, I'm gonna say Monday through Friday, you might have a typical work week or a typical school week, if that's your case, Monday through Friday. If you don't work on Tuesdays and you work on Saturday, vary it as you need to for your situation. But five days this week, I'm asking you to get up early and pray. Now, you know what that means if you're a nursing mother. You may not sleep at all. You may not have slept for years. <laughs> During one of those nursing times, one of the when when that bright thing in the sky is up, one of those times, just spend that time praying. Whatever it is, but get up. And if you've never done this, I'm just, the assignment is, pray for just five minutes. Just five minutes, that's the assignment. Now, if you've been praying for five or 10 minutes and you feel like the challenge this week, just add five minutes to that. Just add five or 10 more minutes to that. Set the alarm just five minutes earlier. Again, it's supposed to be a struggle. Now, I know you can't can't create a habit in five days, but here's my plea and my hope is that you will find that meeting with the God of the universe during that time is such a blessing that it will create a desire. Desire has to turn into discipline. I get that. But all I feel comfortable assigning you is five days. Say, well, what do I pray about? We can pray about anything, of course. But to give you a couple guidelines, here's one thing. Pray about your purpose. Just ask the Lord, Lord, you told Jesus what he was supposed to be doing. What am I supposed to be doing? Why have you put me at this company? Why have you put me at the school? Why have you assigned me these friends? Just ask him. God, help me to think, what is your purpose for me? Whether it's big picture for the next five years or just today. Ask him. It's a meeting with your boss. Ask him. What do you want me working on today? Where do you want me, Amy? I also would request. So the other's more of a, please do this. Uh, This is a request. Why not pray about that December 17th offering that we're taking? That's the purpose. We've been doing this exact thing, and instead of being distracted by all the million things you could do as a church, we've been praying and asking God, what's the purpose you put us here for? Why did you put us on the corner of the East Beltline in I-96 in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2017? What is it you're calling us to do? And he's saying, I want you to make sure that Jesus is being preached in near my villages as well as here. And so I'm asking you, if you're part of Calvary Church, pray and see if that's not the purpose God has for you. And pray and ask God what you might be able to give and participate with us. But the big thing is, pray. And ask God what it is that he's got for you. Is everybody clear on their assignment? Great. I'm going to pray for you now that you're able to do that. Because I know Trust me, something's going to happen tonight. Something's going to happen to keep you up late. The next morning, you're going to set that alarm five minutes, and the alarm's not going to go off. Look, I, I, I've done this so many times. I know how it works. You're going to sit down, and your phone's going to go off. It's what happens. And so I'm praying now and tomorrow and to his day. And when, when I get up, I'm praying for you because Satan is not going to want this to start. Because every great life of prayer begins with somebody making a decision to wake up and pray for five minutes. And if he can nip that, and Satan can nip that in the bud now, that's going to save him a whole world of pain in the future. I'm praying for you, that you would not give way to that discouragement or those deception. And you would do the assignment God gave you to do. So let's pray together. Father, who are we? that you would not only be mindful of us, but that you would meet with us. That this week, thousands of prayers will be offered early in the morning, and you will hear every one of them. And that, Lord, every single person in this room feels pulled in so many different directions, distracted, but God, you're giving us the chance to, to refocus. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray against the enemy. Do not let him steal the seed of this word. I'm praying against the enemy that he might not have a foothold to bring distraction Lord, there are some here this morning who have felt absolute conviction that, yes, you've been talking about them to them for a long time. Lord, some here are feeling like you already are telling them what it is they need to pray for over the next five days. Lord, please, we cannot do this on our own. Uh, Jesus, you taught your disciples how to pray. Please, Lord, teach us how to pray. For we ask this in your name, amen.